Welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn if the rhymes don't fit with the DJ quit. This song don't give a damn you can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it. This song ain't arrogant if you don't try and buy it. Or if your radio denies it, don't care about what, who got, what's cool on TV, or what spots hot, I forgot. I ain't mad at evolution. Hi team, welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast where I talk to inspiring people in health, fitness, nutrition, business and the creative arts who are doing interesting things to improve performance and maximize human potential. Today I'm stoked to be talking to Dr. Dan Plews. Uh, he's a research fellow at AUT, probably most well known for his work on heart rate variability, um, but also more recently as a, a bit of a self-experimenter and doing a lot of work in the LCHF and fat adaptation space. He's also a weapon himself, having recently demolished the field in his age group at the Taupoor New Zealand Ironman. Uh, I originally met Dan, I think, through mutual acquaintances at the Millennium Institute, AUT University. And uh, I was lucky enough to sit down a few times with Dan and have a chat about a range of stuff. And uh, you probably don't realize this, Dan, but I, I took a lot from those talks. You challenged a lot of my biases and and sort of preconceptions around a few things, hydration, electrolytes, and the fat adaptation space as well. And I really appreciated that, and I think that's really helped me to learn and grow in the last couple of years as a practitioner and researcher. So I'm super stoked to have you on the cast today. Uh, welcome along. No, awesome. Thanks for having me. I was thinking, as, as you give me my introduction, remember that before we actually met in person, you were one of those people who I always felt like I, I knew, but I never actually met. <laughs> Because you know, your your name had been had, had been around so much, and uh, yeah, it was like Cliff Harvey, Cliff Harvey, Cliff Harvey. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think I, I just had the um, the benefit of a little bit of time on feet. You know, obviously without the research shops that you've got, I I just got into the whole keto and low carb space so long ago. Um, I think at some point people are going to be annoyed enough to actually re to sort of know who you are and recognize what you're doing. Exactly. So <laughs> if I remember, I was in um. You know the the cafe that's just by the Millennium there, the sip of the guys, the guy who owns that. He said, "Oh, Cliff Harvey's been harping on about low carb for years." <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you go. That's what you want. It's funny now because I find that ha having been in the space for so long, but not you know being all keto all the time, kind of thing. As you know, my my approach is what I sort of call carb appropriate. Uh, it's interesting now because there are so many zealots in the low-carb and keto space that I'm almost getting ostracized from the low-carb community in some sectors like I used to from the high-carb community because you're not low enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and they just say it has to be keto all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It's, um, I remember someone telling me that any um, nutrition is such a funny thing. It's almost like It's almost like a religion in many ways. You know, people get so passionate. You know, I'm a vegan, I'm a keto, I'm a low carb, but like, geez, in the end of the day, it's um, 
it's what it's, it's the thing that works best for you is the most important thing and it's so uh, yeah exactly i mean is it working and if it is keep doing it yeah for sure yeah, yeah. So a lot of our, uh, obviously my listeners uh, may well have heard of you, I think. Um, I've certainly noticed your name popping up a, a lot in the last couple of years as someone who understands a lot about fat adaptation and the, and particularly with respect to endurance. Um, but do you want to tell the listeners just a little bit about your background, where you came from, and how you sort of came to be doing what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, so my background is purely, um, so yeah, I guess my background is mainly as an athlete. So I grew up in the UK um, and I started doing triathlon from a very, very early age. My dad was a, a pretty competitive age group triathlete. So I was in the British, like the British team, always national youth, national junior champion. Um, I went to Loughborough University and I primarily went to Loughborough University as, a, as an athlete more than anything, but I was studying um, sports science at the same time. And it was definitely that way around. I was there as an athlete with a bit of study on the side rather than rather than um the way it should have been uh so yeah and then um but i was kind of doing the shorter distance events and but i never really made that leap and at the time i was there was a lot you know britain now is quite well known well known for kind of pretty good triathletes so so they were kind of upcoming and you know, and it wasn't long before I realized I didn't really have what it takes, um, probably, to make it to the very highest level. Um, and then moved from there to Singapore, did a bit of triathlon coaching there for a short period. And then I started working for the um, Singapore Sports Institute, um, which is where I kind of went into more of the science sphere. Um, through that, I met my, who came to be, who's my good friend now, um, also business partner, Paul Lawson. Um, so I met him in in universe um, in Singapore. He was coming over to New Zealand to do to be the head of physiology for high performance sport, and he said, "Hey, got a PhD opportunity for you if you were interested." And um, basically, I applied, and that was that. And then I came out came over to New Zealand, did my PhD, which was in heart rate variability, um, and and then yeah, worked for the New Zealand rowing team at the same time. Went to two Olympics with them. Went to um, Rio and um, London. And now I'm working um, as a contractor for Canoe Racing New Zealand, working with the women's program as well. So a bit of research, a bit of applied sports science and a bit of um, self-experimentation myself in the triathlon world where I'm now pretty competitive going into the longer distances. So now I'm really involved in sort of the Ironman, more of the Ironman distance. It's pretty, pretty, pretty competitive, eh? Pretty competitive. <laughs> when you get older, you've got to go longer. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so... Yeah, I guess that that's that's kind of my my story in a in a short few words, but yeah. So. And it's funny. I mean, I'm laughing here because you're saying pretty competitive, and by all accounts, you are um, just killing it on on the course at the moment, putting in some amazing times and and just smashing it at the age group level. Yeah, yeah, well, it's been, <laughs> yeah. It's been pretty good. It's, we had um so we had a we had a little girl and um, she was born in October same day as Kona Ironman in 2017 so being like it's a whole new level when you're working training for an Ironman and then you've got a uh, <laughs> an additional member who requires um, quite rightly a lot of your attention so now but that's that's been that's been pretty awesome so, and obviously like that's where my passion for the fat oxidation and the fat metabolism side comes from is um. I know how important that side of things is for for those sorts of ultra endurance events, and 
you know, I was always typically a higher carb guy when I was younger, for sure. Um, definitely, especially in my uni days, I was definitely one of these people who was who trained a lot and wasn't super lean. Um, and then 2012, the person who, when it really, the person who got my attention was probably Tim Notes. You know, when he started harping on about it, I was like, oh, God, you know, I've always respected what he says and I'm like, mm, maybe I should pay a bit of attention to this. And um, so there you go. In 2012, I was at, I actually started thinking, right, that's it, I'm going to go low carb. And I was actually in the Olympic Village at London and I thought, right, that's it, I'm going to try and go low carb. And it was, you try going low carb in an Olympic Village. <laughs> Not easy. <laughs> So that that's really interesting because now Tim is obviously a bit of a pariah. What's your thoughts around where he's gone now and sort of where he's ended up? Do you, do you think some of that's justified or do you think it's just people um, not willing to pay attention to what's happening in the low carb space? Um, what, what do you, what do you mean? Tim, so what, Tim obviously is, is pretty heavily criticized. Um, particularly amongst that sort of academic and the, I guess, academic come practitioner community? And, and how justified do you think that is? Well, I, I don't really think, I mean, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it is justified. I think it's been pretty heavily attacked for, you know, we're all, we're all, everyone's entitled to opinions. And, and, and if you look at the low-carb research, you can't really argue one way or the other. Like, and this is my point is that, you know, you can ostracize someone like Tim for being taking a low carb approach, but show me the evidence where a high carb approach is better. You know, you know, yeah. you, you, know you can't argue, you know, it's hard to argue one way or the other. And there's a guy who himself has had a lot of personal success and seen a lot of success in that space. So um, I think like, you know, you get the, you know, you get the Louise, Louise Burton kind of that, that camp who are just, um, you know, that, for some reason or whatever, the ketogenic diet must have done them a big wrong in their life because they're <laughs> so anti it. You know, I'm like, um, so, and I just don't think, um, but yeah, like, yeah, okay, all the elite athletes are on a higher carb diet, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's best. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be as high as that, like 600, 700 grams a day. That's just ridiculous. You know, yeah. and, and like, I know that, like, and I've seen it all the time, nutritionists will always talk about periodized nutrition, but in my lifetime, I've never in, ever seen a nutritionist do periodized nutrition properly. No. So. One thing that we discussed a lot, uh, you know, I discussed this with, with Joe uh, McQuillan and, you know, Karen and Grant and all the team up there that I spent a lot of time with. It's really interesting when you start going back to, you know, food reporting and how food is either poorly reported or uh, with a lot of the food reporting around elite athletes, mm. often, even if they're eating a high carb diet, it's still under what the recommendations are. Yeah, and yeah. so typically the conclusion in those papers is, well, even though these are elite athletes, they're still not eating enough carbohydrate. Whereas I take that to sort of mean, well, if consistently almost all of the top athletes are not eating recommendation, even if they are eating high carb, yeah. Maybe the recommendations are a little bit high. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Who, who, there was, I went to a, I forgot the name of the guy, but I was at a presentation and he was putting that data on footballers and he was basically said that, you know, they just do not eat that that amount, you know? Yeah. So, and like, I think, and it's exactly like like the polarized training kind of area as well. <clears throat> you know, that, that pol the polarized training, so the majority of your training is at a low intensity with a little bit of high intensity. 
that's based on what do the best um, the best athletes in the world, how do they train? And that's how the polarized training areas come about. And then people have researched that and they found that, okay, if someone does a threshold model, someone does a polarized model, yes, the polarized model seems to win out. But like it's just impossible to have those massively to do that within the diet space without, you know, for weeks and weeks on end and do it properly and do it controlled. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I look at the I didn't really know really what the guidelines were back in the day because I, I think I forgot them pretty quickly after learning them at university. <laughs> yeah. Subjective, you're very subjective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, and I wasn't an endurance athlete, obviously, but I, I remember as a weightlifter who was supposed to eat a lot of carbohydrate, I, I literally could not eat the amount of carbohydrate that was being prescribed. I mean, I have Crohn's disease, so that causes a bit of a challenge there as well but it was just it would have been impossible for me to eat you know upwards of 400 grams of carbohydrate per day yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah i mean that's um that's my story in in the carbohydrate space and it's been it's been awesome like it's definitely changed my definitely changed my performance i've become a better athlete whether it's whether it's a training, whether it's age, whether it's diet, something's happened. I'm, you know, I'm doing better. I'm doing better over the longer distances, um, more productive, and all the all the normal things that I find, yeah, just just help. I can't say I don't get hungry anymore, but I think that's, you know, if you're training 20 hours a week, you know, and you're trying to work, you just like sometimes I'm just like, get me some food. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you you kind of want to get hungry sometimes, right? That's a good natural response. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of these like I don't feel hungry anymore. I'm like, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. That's my wife. Do you think she can never feel me? <laughs> well, interestingly, and this is a bit of an aside, and then I'll get back on track. But uh, one thing that we've actually noticed lately, clinically, and we need to obviously do a bit more investigation on this, is for some people that's actually a negative of being on a a really low carb diet, particularly if that's a really low carb, pretty high protein diet is they're almost oversatiated if they're a particular type that requires. Um, you know, more calories, particularly, let's say, people with Gilbert's syndrome and things like that who really want to keep the calories up. Yeah, yeah. They're so satiated, they end up under-eating consistently yeah. and they end up burning up. That's one of, and that's one of the dangers with, I think that, I mean, that's one of the dangers with the kind of the more the pro, the, the pro guys who are doing, because I work with a lot of pro Ironmans who kind of get more into the keto. Like, it does make, you do generally get less hungry. And also, like, if you're trying to push that fat adaptation and you're going longer, you're doing rides without eating, you, know, you can be talking, like, four or five hours of the day when you're not taking any food. And yeah. and, I, and that the problem is is when you get into that negative energy balance space, you know. And, uh, and I think it's – like, I only really work with males. Um, and obviously, negative, negative, negative energy balance, the female athlete triad, it's a kind of a known um, thing in, in females. But it's – massively overlooked in males yeah people just don't even think about it but like like the that whole cascade of um low energy availability lower testosterone bone lower in bone density and all that kind of thing it's just it's not really con considered as much where i think it's actually people need to stand up and pay attention like there was a paper released recently that showed if you're 400 calories in deficit um a day you're in serious um risk of lowering your testosterone um, yeah, yeah and, and that's that's been demonstrated for a long time right that um 
free T to cortisol ratio and how that's got such a good predictive value for, uh, you know, overreaching, overtraining and how that's massively, you know, the biggest effector of that is, is calorie balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, and it's very easy to be 400 calories for a, for a guy who's training between 20 and 30 hours a week, like so easy to be 400 calories um, under, especially if you're trying to push fat adaptation and you're trying, you're purposely trying not to eat during exercise as much as, you know, not because I think meeting the demands of exercise is not great. So it's kind of like it's a real um, seesaw of where you're trying to maximize the gains of the adaptation, but minimize the risk of any kind of endocrinological or or overreaching status. So. Yeah. So you're in a pretty interesting position because, you you know, I know that you're sort of speaking from the position of this is what works for me and this is what I've tried and this is what I've done. But you're in a pretty unique situation of being not just an athlete, you're a coach and you're a researcher. So you've looked in greater depth at this, you know, in this topic than most people I think would have ever done really because it's such a new sort of area. You've recently, uh, you co-authored a paper uh, which was I really enjoyed about that sort of spectrum of, I, I guess, fuel provision for endurance athletes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess uh, the different horses on the same courses, which is one of with one of my PhD students, Ed, um, Ed Maunder. So and he, so I came to Ed with this idea, and he's really into his substrate stuff, and he's like, yeah, that's that's all me. I'll and he, he's he's a genius. He like he bashed it out in about a week. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the the idea was is that I kind of like because I'm in the space where I'm I do it myself. I read a lot of the research, and and I just feel that people get they get the message a bit wrong sometimes is that, you know, it's, it's one or the other, you know, and I read on blogs and people will say, Oh, you know, I've been on a low carb ketogenic diet and my marathon time wasn't any slower when I wasn't didn't taking any carbs. And I'm like, well, yeah, you took six hours to do the marathon though, didn't you? Like, you know, <laughs> like, like it's not, um, like that's not the point. Like, you, you know, and I'm, you know, to, to, within a certain, if you go over a certain intensity, some carbohydrate, is will be required and that's where it comes in is that you know this kind of train low race high approach for elites at least i believe is the best way forward because fat oxidation is undeniably absolutely critical because when it comes to endurance ironman the thing that's going to be stopping you is running out of endogenous carbohydrate supplies right so you're trying to keep them topped up as much as you can so the ways you can do that is either not use them or put them in. So they're the two things that you want to do. Um, and the best way to not use them is increase your fat oxidation. The best way, and then the other side of it is then also put them in. And so I wanted to just show that once you go over a certain, no matter how high your fat oxidation is, even if it's at 1.5, 1.6 grams per minute, you you cannot meet the energy demands when of some of the elite guys, like when you're doing 350 watts for five hours, for example, on a bike, you cannot meet those demands. So, um, and that's what I wanted to show. But on the other side, if you're going a lot slower and you're at the kind of the lower end age group level, yeah, it's possible because the energy demand isn't as high. So you could, if you wanted to, you could, you can train low carb and you can race low carb. But once you get over a certain time, I think the benefit is that you train low carb, build the fat oxidation, and then you race high. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that seems to be such a common thing that's done now, and it's only a very recent sort of 
you know, it's a very recent strategy, I think, for people yeah. to implement. But I would say most of the athletes that I work with are doing that. Yeah, it's surprising that it's only recent, but it could because to me it's always been so obvious. You know? Yeah. I think one of the interesting things is that people are actually beginning to now understand the spectrum of of low carb or the spectrum of carbon take full stop and the spectrum that is fuel creation within the body, you know, particularly yeah. with respect to ketogenesis. Um, I, I talked about this with Steve Finney years ago and there was still this idea that ketosis was kind of like an on-off switch. And I've always sort of thought that doesn't make any sense because we – no matter how much carbohydrate you eat, we always produce ketones, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we, we produce small amounts and we turn them over very quickly. And so you might exhibit 0.1 millimoles of beta-hydroxybutyrate if you're on a high-carb diet. And then that goes up the lower the carb intake and the higher the fat intake, you know. So over years, you know, over 20-odd years, I've been measuring people doing like paleo diets and primal diets and stuff, and they often exhibit... 0.3, 0 0.4, yeah. you know, they're not quite in ketosis per se, but they're still at a level of ketonemia, which is not consistent with the norm. Yeah. And obviously you go lower and they're higher. So it's interesting because there is, is a spectrum there. Yeah. And the one thing that's always, I've always thought about, no one's, I don't know, you might be able to answer the question is that, and I was thinking about this when I was writing that paper is when you're exercising for a long period, say eight, nine hours, and you're taking in carbs, what is the level of ketone at that time? Because, like, you know, exercise-induced ketosis, definitely, you know, when I, I, I will often measure my ketones post-exercise, and they're always high. Mm -hmm. um, generally, I'm not eating. I've never really done it when I've been, you know, after a um, – after a. I have measured my blood glucose, though, and generally my blood glucose is pretty high after I've done a pretty – you know, after I've finished an Ironman, it's high. But I wonder what the, that level is because I would still imagine that, for someone like me who's a good fat burner, so my fat, my grams per minute is about 1.3 grams per minute, which is, uh, so, so that, I mean, that's up there. Um, so I would imagine even if I take in the carb, I would probably still have reasonably high ketones. And I think that's the point that you want to get to. Absolutely. And, and having that mixed fuel availability, I mean, one thing that I've often discussed with people and they tend to think I'm crazy is, you know, when people talk about fat adapted, they usually think, well, that means the person has to be on an extremely low carb diet. Whereas to my mind, I say, well, all that means is that your body can utilize fat really effectively. So, you know, your RER or whatever other measure you're taking shows that you could be on a really high carb diet and be a very fat adapted athlete if you burnish a ton of fat, right? Could be, yeah. And, um, and I know like, you know, and that's, you know, guys who are guys who are elite and do a lot of training, they will be. So lots of them, even though they are on a high carb diet, they will be very fat adapted. Right? Yeah, just that's what exercise does, and that's why there's that direct relationship between VO two max and fat oxidation. It's pretty much a point nine point nine relationship. So the more your VO two goes up, the better your fat oxidation because the mitochondria is such a key plays such a critical role in the um, the beta oxidation. Yeah, yeah. So that you've you've mentioned the train low, race high, you know, methodology. How do you actually apply that? What would a day a, a day's eating look like for you? And how would that? Uh, how would your race fueling really differ from that? Yeah. Um, so, like, I guess I have 
I have probably changed a little bit from when I first started to a little bit more keto to I would say I'm a bit more paleo now. Yeah. And I've just I've just found that and I say this with lots of the athletes that I work with now, like I think unless you unless you're an elite, I don't think going keto is a good a good point, um, a good starting point. I think going into more of a kind of a paleo. So you know in like the real new revolution, they've got the green and the red and the the um amber kind of colors yeah my theory i think that if you're uh, if you're training a lot the amber's okay go for those you know so you've got kind of your carrots i mean i wouldn't say i eat cum like potato or anything but i will have beetroot parsnip some of those more rooty rooty vegetables and i've, I've kind of added that in a little bit more i've added in a little bit more fruit just just because like you know i've measured my fat oxidation all the time and it doesn't it's not going anywhere so, yeah. so why why not why not have it? But then, um, so so yeah. So I will include that in my diet. I also I also take my blood glucose every morning. Um, okay, just out of interest, really. Um, and uh, I'm always like four point three, four point four. So, wow, huh. I don't have anything to kind of be concerned about in that in that sphere. But yeah, I mean, a typical day would like so say this morning, I um I would get I got up I had a a bulletproof coffee um so coffee with butter and a bit of mct yeah um that i bought from you in fact <laughs> <laughs> there you go good we'll, we'll, we'll plug that in the show notes <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah no, i think it, i think it's a kickstarter oh no it's a go longer the go longer the mct yeah um, i'll tell you what i i mean i'm just going to do it a bit of a bit of an aside here i was skeptical when um we looked at that product, but it, it's actually really good. And one thing we've noticed is as compared to some other brands, it's weird, but there seems to be less GI distress from it. Oh, and it, it's a yeah, really, it's super high quality product. Yeah, I won't go on about it here because it's not the space, but it's a, it's a great product. Yeah. So well, we can talk about MCTs and uh, we all, all, yeah, but the, just, just, just before we go on for the MCTs, I found that the powder was, um, easily the best on my gut but it's difficult to get the powder without a bit of glucose in there yeah i wanted to ask your opinion on that actually because a lot of people say that and i haven't tried well i have actually tried some powders but um so not a lot. my protein mct powder and i found it was like really good on my gut like better than most um, even if you dose match the exact amount of mct yeah, yeah. interesting i found it was a bit better but i also found but it's also got a bit of carb in it so yeah, it was as good. So, but yeah, so I had MCT coffee. Um, I have put collagen in my coffee as well. Yep, the Great Lakes, and then I'll take a vitamin C with it as well, just to it's first thing in the morning, and I'm all over that. So the you know yeah. the Keith Bar stuff about the collagen. Fortunately, I've got a bit of an injury at the moment, so it's not working for me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I then I did um, then I went down into my garage. I did a a bike session um and a bit of a running run on the treadmill and then i came up and i had and that's the point where i'll eat some food and i had some scrambled eggs and some leftovers from the night before which was just brussels sprouts and um um sweet what will people call it pumpkin butternut squash yep yeah so yeah and that's that's kind of a breakfast then and then in the uh yeah and then i'll kind of just Go through the day. Have a coffee. Have sometimes I'll have a like. I'm, I'm sponsored by S Fuels, which is um I think you've I've talked to them about you before. Um, which is kind of it's a it's a low carb bar, um, yeah. a sports bar, 
so I often will snack on one of them and get a bit hungry, which I sometimes do in the in the um, about ten o'clock. And then yeah, and then it's just lunch, and that's pretty much it, really. And then like the lunch was the lunch was some um, was again some leftovers from from a couple of days ago, but like generally that's the way where I roll really. Then the evening time will be a salad and a and a meat, you know, and I'll kind of alternate between salmon, steak, and and a white fish, pretty much. I don't really, and sometimes chicken, yeah. So, so it's still still pretty low carb. Yeah, really. it's still pretty low carb. It's just, but in the evenings, in the salads, we'll often put in um, like beetroot, or you know, so that would that would knock me out of ketosis, of like beetroot or or butternut squash or something like that. Yeah, mm. that, that that's enough to knock knock me out. I mean, we, I think we've had this conversation before. Is that I'm easily knocked out of ketosis. I have to be pretty, yeah, pretty low. I do find though that if I my, my ketones will be pretty high after if I go out riding in the morning and do three hours and I don't eat, I can come back and I can be at three millimoles. You know, and then Wow. Yeah, and then I'll be and then I'll be like pretty much if I don't have something quite carby, um, I'll be in that pretty much that the whole day. Um sometimes I will have a protein shake after a train if it's a really hard session. Um and I also find that the protein shake would knock me out if I wanted to knock me out. But I'm not like I say, I'm not I don't really care whether yeah. I have ketosis or not. Um, the main reason I measure my ketones is like I kind of give it as a proxy measure of uh, how much I'm burning fat. Yeah. How, much, how, much, how deep am I going into fat burning? You know, so. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you say you don't care. I think a lot of a lot of people need to, you know, have that measure because it almost gamifies the experience. Yeah. Um, but having mucked around with, keto and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things for so long I, i'm like you i just don't care because yeah i, I know that i'm going to be flexible you know i don't know if i ever showed you that stuff i did but i was eating i was doing some carb backloading as an experiment and eating around 200 to, to 250 grams of carbohydrate in the evening after dinner yeah and yeah. i was eating all sorts of stuff awesome. and then by the next lunchtime i was basically back at 0.7 so not deep yeah. ketosis but certainly in ketosis but that's that's enough right and like i, I think and I, I, that's like, the jury's out on what's optimal right and i think you know this and i remember listening to um peter atia and someone's asking oh what's the optimal level of ketosis and it's like well that's like a ridiculous question the optimal level is the best way to find out is that when you're in when you're on a low-carb diet have your ketone meter with you and when you feel really good, really alert, really on it, take your blood ketones. And if it's at 0.7, that's right. If it's at one, yeah. that's right. And like, so me and me and Paul Wilson, me and Prof, like, you know, we ha we hang out a lot together, and we're a real set of geeks. And um, you know, we 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 would all, we'd come back from a rise, and we'd be pricking our fingers and say, "What's your blood ketones?" You know, we'd have we'd have like Dexcoms in our stomach and taking our blood ketones and comparing. And like me and him, <laughs> night and day, we were so different. Um, you know, he was way higher than me all the yeah. time. In the mornings, well, I like in the mornings, I'd wake up at point two, and he'd be like two, one. You know, we'd be, <laughs> we'd be eating the same thing. We'd be, you know, we're, we're hanging out together all the time. We pretty much ate the same, but it's just it's completely different of of how um, your body uses uses the ketones and also creates carbohydrate. So yeah. I would say that you know, Prof will agree that I'm a little bit more highly trained than him. So perhaps I'm actually better at finding carbohydrate from, you know, um, gluconeogenesis and other things like that. And even the breakdown of lipolysis, you know, the glycerol molecule will actually 
you know, you'll actually break down, um, you will actually find some carb, right? So exactly. I actually read, and this 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 hasn't been investigated yet, but there's uh, in silico models suggest that there is a plausible uh, conversion of fatty acids to glucose as well, which obviously everyone thought was crazy for so long, but that's what the in silico models suggest. So if they can start to replicate that, um, you know, obviously in vitro and vivo, then that'll be pretty amazing as well yeah. because different people may be able to do it. It wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, the, the Volek faster study, I mean, the fact that the glycogen content was the same, the muscle glycogen content was the same in all groups before exercise, you know that's that's like well that's a bit that's a bit crazy. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, they're not eating any carb, but they're getting it from somewhere. So, yeah. I think that the points you make about beta hydroxybutyrate levels are are really important. I think uh, I often get questions from the same question from my students, right? How how deep should I be, kind of thing? Yeah. How you know what should my levels of ketones be? And often people are trying to chase higher and higher numbers. And I always say, would you be chasing higher numbers with glucose? Like, yeah, yeah. Of course I wouldn't. Yeah. And although I know I understand there there's differences there, there still is going to be a point where simply chasing a higher number is not going to be beneficial. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's about total substrate. So if you're taking your blood glucose and your ketones at the same time, and you're, you know, like if your blood glucose is super low, then okay, maybe ketones needs to be a bit high. But if, you know. I think it, the, the total substrate is the thing that makes you feel good. And a little bit, of, and I think a, a mix between the two is the best. You know, you don't want to be really high on one and really high on the other, really low on one and really on the other. That's, that's my, that's more what my gut tells me. So I remember, I remember, the, I remember um, me and, me and, me and Prof were in Rotorua and we did, we did a five hour ride in the morning um, and it included four 40 minute efforts and um ironman pace so it was pretty it was pretty big and, and what happened was it was we we ended up timing it a bit wrong so we finished our last 40 minute effort and we were still like 30 k from home and we had no food and we were and it was like oh well we, we always we came back and we we had one piece of banana bread um because we actually had a bit of car <laughs> taupo because so we started from road road to taupo and then pretty much back um and then and then we took we had one piece of banana bread we mistimed it we came in, we ate some food, and then I was like, all right, let's go for a swim. So we went up to the Blue Lakes, and we had a very short swim. And I was swimming up and down, and, and, I, swam, and I swam past Prof, and he's like, and I'm like, Prof, you look like a floating tweak. He was going so slow. <laughs> he was so tired. But anyway, so long story short, we got back to where we were staying, and, um, and he took his glucose and his ketones and, and ketones, and his glucose was like at three. And his blood ketones were at 4.5. And wow. he felt terrible. <laughs> Just to me, he goes to me, word of warning, when your ketones are higher than the blood glucose, you don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. We've, um, we saw that in our MCT study. Uh, one of the participants didn't um, let us know, and, and we didn't catch it. But thankfully, um, well, so basically she had a low blood glucose reading, so low on the blood glucometer yeah and i don't know exactly how low that is but I, it's got to be under three um, yeah, okay. because it, at some point it just gives you a low reading which is basically go and see your doctor straight away yeah, kind of thing yeah yeah because it gives you so yeah well, well i'll let you finish the story because i've got i've got a bit more to add to this interesting story too oh, but thankfully her blood ketones were high enough that yeah. she didn't have a hypocoma or anything like that exactly and that's the amazing thing is that 
So me and me and Terenzo, uh, Terenzo Bizzoni, who's people might know, is a but you think I'm a weapon of an athlete? He's a absolute weapon of an athlete. Um, he's the ultimate like weapon. Um, so we went to Kona, and before we went to Kona, we did um, some like some trials pre post, and we were taking our um, blue glucose during. Basically, it was just a we did a max test, um, and then we did. Not quite to match. It was pretty high level. Then we did like sixty minutes continuous at two hundred and sixty watts, um, and like our blood glucose in the middle of the test was like three point eight, three point seven, like you know. And we were like, you know, we're totally, totally fine, like normal. And the nutritionist at the time, and he goes, "Is that is that okay?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm talking to you, aren't I? You know, I'm not going <laughs> off a bike. I'm not, you know." So there was obviously. And I said to him, I said to him, that's clearly not the only substrate running through my veins right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's the key, right? And that's what you you mean, um, you know, when you're talking about that total, yeah. fuel, total fuel availability, that's that's the critically important thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean for you when you're uh, doing an event then? what, How, how does your fueling strategy during the event work? Yeah. So, I mean, then, then everything changes, right? So then I'm going for performance there's a website that says um there's a website called slow twitch and their motto is i think it's slow twitch it says um it's race day it's time to treat your body like a rental car and, I, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the approach i take is that when it's um on race day it's all on like so i'll put you know I'm, and i and i'll try and match i'll try and basically take as much carb as i can physically take whilst my gut will or what my gut will, gut will tolerate um, which is pretty much 60 grams per hour. Um, okay. So, and that's I don't I'm not mixing fruit, um, fructose and anything maltodextrin or anything in glucose. I'm just pure maltodextrin on that. Um, I find that's easiest on my gut. Um, yeah. And pretty much 20 grams, 20 grams every 20 minutes. So it works out to be nice. And huh. and I'm generally generally okay on that. But the the cool thing about being fat adapted is that if I miss a feed, I'm that's not the end of the world, right? So I'm totally I'm fine. Like, and and when I do the Ironman, I'll during the run, I don't worry about it too much. I'll just um, I'll try and make sure that I'm fully doing as much as I can on the bike. And then on the run, I'll you know because it's quite hard to get things when you're running for aid stations and, and whatnot. So um, I'll just grab what I can. I'll grab a gel. I think this year in Taupo, I ran a I ran a two fifty two marathon. And I only took two gels. Um, and then the rest I just grabbed, which is like 60 grams of carbs over three, I think it's 60 grams, yeah, over three hours, just under three hours. Um, so it definitely wasn't meeting any demands there. Um, but what was good is that during the bike, I was 60 grams per hour pretty. Yeah. I was actually a little bit under because I, when I got to my bike the, the day after I was, um, I had um, a little bit of food left in my little food pouch so i was must have been a little bit under but that's that's kind of the approach that i, I will take and that's and why the glucose can be in the nines tens when i finish i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and if, if it's absorbed all the coking because i'm grabbing coke from the a stations and yeah yeah i think so but i mean a lot of those those um high levels is just the hgo right the um, hepatic glucose output yeah 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 but it's like, even i mean the funny thing is is that it is, but at the same time, like I'm at a low intensity, right? It's not mm. a high intensity exercise, but there's still there's still something that's giving off a lot of blood glucose. So if I go out for a long four hour ride, for example, 
Um, I will. I mean, I won't. I won't have a high blood glucose after that. The intensity is low enough. Yeah. Um, but if but in an Ironman, I think there's the intensity is still low. But because there's so much other stuff going on, the intake of food, the muscle damage, the inflammation, and all that kind of thing, then it just goes woof. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I did a really interesting YouTube clip, and I showed my blood glucose levels um, days after a half Ironman, and you wouldn't believe how long it t took for it to come back down. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, it was. It took me. I can't say I was being like super strict like you know i kind of finished the race and i was a little bit a little bit more laissez-faire than i normally would be um but it still took a, a reasonable time for it to come back down into the five so so do you think to, to some would that to some degree be a combination of hepatic glucose output and gluconeogenesis to replete muscle glycogen do you think or is there something else going on post-race yeah um I think it's um, a bit of that, but I also think it's a little bit of just inflammation and stress. You know, I, mm. you know, I have a lot of the athletes that I coach, some of them, you wouldn't believe the relationship between overreaching and overdoing it and high-intensity training and stress and blood glucose because at the end of the day, blood glucose is inflammatory, right? Like um, glucocorticoid, right? It's mm. a stress hormone called glucocorticoid for a reason. It's... It's kind of it's kind of mediated by glucose, so um, and I think that's something that's that's going on a little bit there. Is the overall level of a stress of a race in general um, would cause a bit of a glucose rise the next the next for the preceding days because you just yeah. so and that's where you know like the when it comes to training doing lots of high intensity interval training and kind of this mid zone training that's kind of not hard and not easy. I, that, it might not be that beneficial from a health perspective, you know, so that's why, you know, doing easy stuff most of the time, aerobic, low heart rate, kind of the kind of the kind of the more Phil Mathetone, the math method. Have you heard of that? Yeah, no, I've actually heard a lot of um, a lot of top level athletes talking about that recently is yeah. to, to sort of be at either end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Phil Mathetone, he was he did a lot of work with Mark Allen back in the day and he He's he talks about the methadone heart the meth heart rate. Yeah, it sounds like he's naming it after himself, but it's not. It's called maximum aerobic fitness. I think is the what it stands for. Um, but anyway, that's a basically it's a level like a heart rate, and it's it's 180 minus your age. And he says that that's kind of if you're doing your long slow stuff, the slow endurance, that's the level you should be below. And for most endurance guys, that's easy. Like. I would I mean for me, that's not a challenge at all for me to go and run at 180 minus my age. Like that's, I can I could run I could clip along at four minute k's doing that. Yeah. Um, but but the for the untrained and the the new people to the sport, that's not the case, and that's where they would really benefit from keeping the heart rate low, and why a lot of people who start become burned out quite easily because they're just, you know, because they've kind of got this sympathetic stress is, um, you know, the overall information that's caused by just doing that slightly higher intensity work. Yeah. Hey, so I, I want to take a step back. Do, do you take uh, any MCTs or, or ketones before or during training events as well? Or, or um, is that not something? Yeah, that's I, take, I, I do. I, so training wise, um, I do take ketones. 
Um, I'll take two things when I'm training. I'll either take the S fuels. S fuels are bought out kind of a fat drink. It's not. Okay. It's got. It's got. It's basically fat and uh, electrolyte. So I'll take that. And um, just because, and the main reason being is like we talked about before is that I don't want any insulin spike when I'm exercising. I don't want any fat oxidation to be shut down, and I want it to be something clean that I'm taking. I want to keep low carb, but at the same time, I don't necessarily want to. Um, run the risk of a negative energy balance so at least i know i'm getting some energy some kind of nutrients into my system so that's one thing that i will drink often when i'm ex when i'm training and the other thing is um i will take ketones usually mm -hmm. i take the salts because they're just the ones that are most easily accessible in training um and the main reason i take that especially if i haven't done training in a while or i'm i'm going i'm going quite low i just find it i mean Terenzo talked about this a lot Finally, it just takes the edge off a little bit, like in terms of that hunger and the the knock. Yeah. Um, and and you know you you look at the research in terms of what's out there at the moment, and we publish research in the ketone salts as well. Um, and it's quite you know it's quite hard to say that it actually does anything. But yeah. I really do think it has its place when in that situation where you're you're going low, you're training. Your ketones, you know, you're at that period where your ketones aren't quite ramped up. Yeah, and it's just enough, you know, to take you from 0.5 to 0.8, you know, that makes a difference and that makes yeah. you feel that little bit better. And I think that's where they have their place. Not necessarily, it's not going to necessarily make you perform any better, but it can just take the edge off. Yeah, and what, what a lot of our athletes are saying as well is that it doesn't actually help them go any faster. What it does is it helps them feel a heck of a lot better yeah, while they're yeah. doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. with the cognitive benefits and things like that. I'm also pretty interested in, in the differences between the, you know, a lot of the commonly available salts out there, which are that racemic sort of blend, you know, so they're the L and D beta hydroxybutyrate versus the uh, formulas now that are just yeah, 100%. So, so I guess there's the, because uh, the, I mean, now there's so many different ones out there. There's the racemic form, which is like the Don Augustino kind of, he's, he's more of the racemic ketones, isn't he? Uh, he's more in favor of the just the D um, because that's yeah. the native form in the body, yeah. Yeah, which is racemic. Is that right? Am I being oh, right? yeah. So I, I mean the, the the mixtures of the L and D because yeah. most formulas out there are that 50 50 yeah. racemic mixture of L and D, yeah. that hydroxybutyrate, yeah. So, and then so there's his mix, there's the salts, and then now there's a the monoester, which is the which is both, right? Which is the best of both worlds, supposedly. Um, and that seems to ramp the ketones up super high. Um, but my understanding is that the the the, the ketone ester that Dom Augustino um, uses is he he he's is, that's more for um, like cancer and cognitive function and all those sorts of things rather than exercise performance. So, did you read the Lecky paper that was that used that in the cyclists? That it was, was in, it? it was a Lecky paper that was on. Um, Use the effort in cycling performance. Did that show a negative effect? Yeah, it had. It was Lecky, Louise Burke, Mark Quad, I think, um, a few, a few of those guys. Yeah, but yeah, um, it just it was such an appalling study. Yeah, uh, Dom and, uh, and his colleagues published a rebuttal. No, yeah, really good points. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if they wanted to design a study that was going to fail, that's a study that you would. I mean, even the title, they may as well have just gone, you know, vomiting and diarrhea causes you to cycle slower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, 
Yeah, you know, it's just like God. You don't even test the doses just here. So it was like that low carb, um, you know, ketogenic diet and peers performance study that came out a few months back, and it was a um, four day ketogenic diet. Oh and, yeah, God. And then a time trial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> four day fast followed by a time trial. What's going to happen, dude? <laughs> Ketosis impairs performance. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, but, but then, um, just to finish the, on the point of the ketones, but then during racing, I will, um, I'll take an ester. Yep. Yeah. Because my, cause I think the salts can cause you a bit like, can, you can become a bit unstuck in racing if you're taking a lot of the salts just because of the permeability of the gut in there and yeah. they are loaded with sodium. So, you know, you, you, you can easily overdo it on that and which changes the thirst response and all that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, so that's what, what I'll um, the bit the esters are quite hard to get hold of. I've actually used a real ester and I've used the one three butane dial. Yep. Um, again, the jury's out whether that actually does anything, but I kind of like it and I've used it in a lot of races and I seem to go well with it. So yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting space in the next couple of years because obviously, you know, I've been contacted by a few of the companies that are starting to make um, you know publicly accessible ketone esters now. Yeah. And I just think, you know, it, it's, again, it's going to be a little bit like your horses for courses type idea that yeah. you had around the diet. I think what you're going to use or if you're going to use it at all is so dependent on the situation, who you are. Yeah, exactly. Situation. And what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. You know, again, go back to the, the levels thing, the levels yeah. of ketones. We were nearly bumped back in one of our papers that we just published because the reviewer would not budge on the position that to be in ketosis, you have to be above two or three millimoles. And we can, you know, we could only conclude that the review, we didn't know who, who it was, obviously, but we could only conclude that he, we assume it was a he as well, that the reviewer was a, an old um, doctor in the field of epilepsy, because that's obviously what you'd be looking at for acute, optimal acute seizure control is over two or three millimoles. Yeah. But our point was that no one applies that anymore. It's basically in the mainstream, which was what our population was. We're really looking at much lower levels because, as you suggested, that's where people begin to see, you know, improvement or moderation of performance, and they start to feel better and all those types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the like the ketone space, the uh, you know, the, the exogenous ketone space is, is super fascinating and. Um, so I want to. I'm going to try and get my hands on some of the human ketone stuff. So um, you know the monoester, and I think that's probably where it has best. But that's probably where it's going to have an effect. Um, I do have a few worries about you know. I I also worry about almost like, too much substrate available at one go. You know, like that that concept. Well, your body like what the hell? Carbohydrate and ketone all in one go, like. You know what's that actually going to do to yeah. the fox? so um but like was it you know the the point i want i would say with the ketones is like again the exogenous stuff there's there's again there's two camps right there's the people who think what a pile of crap that's never going to work and then there's people who you know who say it would work and i think the evidence at the moment for most ketones Apart from like the some of the, the the human ketone stuff, which is from that the Cox group, which shows that they're showing that it, their studies show that it does actually work, and you know, ketones are really high when they take it. But like ketones are so much in their infancy. Like 
Mm. You think about back 20, 30 years when people were first supplementing with carbohydrate, how long did it take for people to actually understand how to use carbohydrates during exercise, the right mixes, the fructose, the maltodextrin, the glucose, the galactose, all these different things. I mean, I don't know if you are familiar with some of the galactose, some of those earlier sports drinks and galactose, which was kind of like more of a low GI kind of releasing. You know, it just caused everyone to basically crap the pants. Right, <laughs> and, and people go, oh, okay, maybe this isn't the best form of yeah, carbohydrate. Yeah. People didn't go, oh, carbohydrates don't work. It's about finding <laughs> the right mix of ketones in the right situations, the right blends, the right monoesters and diesters, the L form, the B form, whatever you know, the D form, whatever um, is. But like, we just, I mean, that's what's cool is that we're fortunate that um, we are alive and researching at a time when this is happening. That's yeah. what I think is quite cool. So. Yeah, I think it's a super fascinating field. And, uh, you know, I'm giving a talk next month on uh, ketosis for, for cancer, for example. And I think that's a, an area where exogenous ketones could end up being really beneficial because you don't need to be as aggressive with, with diet and things like that. But there's a lot of fish hooks in the cancer space as well. You know, to, to simply say that keto diets or ketones should be applied for all cancers is crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why, yeah, and that's why people like Don D'Agostino are doing such um, great work in that in that space, right? And you know, and like even in, even with kids and epilepsy, and you, know, you can't expect a, a a child to go on a ketogenic diet. Like it's not going to happen, right? So there's so there's um, nuances and really good stuff to be had in in that space. You know? And again, at the end of the day, like you know, I always think we talk about you know, our passion is sport, but it's such a small, I mean, and that's where I think of the ketone stuff, but it's so insignificant in what it could actually do for the, the yeah. world. So, hmm. And I mean, I'm seeing that, you know, one of the things that I often talk about is forget about to some degree what ketones are actually doing in the body. For a lot of people, they function as a tool that allows them to have we think at least, you know, based on what I've seen, fewer cravings, it might have uh, helped them to eat within restricted time feeding windows, they eat less overall, yeah. they've basically got a tool that helps them to adhere to diet more effectively. And we all know that adherence and compliance is the key above anything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, what are some of your key because you you obviously do a lot of reading you know you're uh right up there in that space what are some of your go-to resources and readings and things who do you typically tend to go to to get your information i'm a, I'm a big podcast listener i think we talked about that before um as you say my, my go-to po podcast i like the joe rogan podcast yeah um, quite a lot i like uh who else have we been listening to stem talks have you heard of that that podcast stem talks that's another really good one that's uh I've been listening to a lot recently. Tim yeah. Ferriss' podcast was always my my big go-to. I'm a huge fan of um, Peter Atiyah, so any, I'll always kind of Google his name and try and um, find stuff like that. So, I mean, podcasts are a lot. And then the other kind of readings are, um, are, are more like my Google alerts. I have pretty good Google alerts set up on my Outlook. I'll get, you know, and I have like keywords like substrate utilization, yeah, oxidation, high variability, blah, blah, blah. And they'll, and they'll be, and they'll kind of alert me. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty good now. At, I can't say I sit down. I, like back in the day when I was a student, I'd print off a paper and read it back to back 
But now <laughs> I'm kind of like, I'll download the PDF, look at my computer, zoom, 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 get the general, the general gist, and then and then save it and put it away somewhere. So, um, but yeah, and then well, yeah, I do enjoy a good read, especially. Um, I'm 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 into all sorts of my uh, into all sorts of books, and that's not necessarily all to do with physiology and sports performance. I'm quite into just general. So the book I'm reading at the moment is that Solve to Be Happy. Solve to oh, Happy. Yeah. Yeah. Anchor. Yeah. I remember his name. So that's a gives you an idea of what, what I'm just interested in stuff really it's awesome because that preempted my next question i always like to ask people what other books are they reading because we can yeah. get very focused on performance yeah, but yeah. obviously it's so not, got, not all life behind me right now i've got the um tribe book by sebastian Young. that's another one that's pretty good um i've got another one that's called chaos monkey which is about startups and um the guy who the guy who went who went from twitter to facebook and worked in Silicon Valley. So all the just oh, wow. general general stuff, general interesting books, but I'm not not much of a fiction guy, I have to say. I did read The Alchemist. That's about <laughs> as far as I, I went in terms of the fiction. And that's only because everyone harped on about it about how good it was. So um, I, I need to read fiction. That's my sort of my literary sleeping pill I call it. I think I've read thirty novels so far this this year. Oh uh, really? Yeah, good to go to sleep, Ryan. Hey, yeah, that's the thing. Like, so just on the sleep, I've been using. Um, I have this thing called Aura Ring. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah. So, so it gives you. So you're supposed to work all day, but I work just to quantify my sleep. Um, yeah. and it tells me every morning. It tells me that I'm having like 23 minutes of deep sleep. <laughs> so, think, part of me is thinking, is that actually right? But then if it is right, it starts to worry me. <laughs> yeah. So what, are you doing anything to, to try and improve your sleep? Uh, yeah. I have the ultimate bedtime routine. So I will um, – so I'll basically I'll try and turn my phone off at about 7.30, put it on kind of airplane mode. Yeah. Um, doesn't, I don't always keep it off. I think, oh, I'll just do this one more thing. But, yeah, so that's my aim. And then, and then I'll have um, – the mushroom tea, again that I buy from you. See, this I'm giving you too much business. The Relishi, the yoga tea. See, I didn't even realize that you were buying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, so I was getting the the cacao one, but um, I've gone to the uh, the yoga Relishi mushroom tea now. I love that stuff. It's awesome. I'm big into that as well. I have the um, I have the mushroom coffee and the mushroom um, the mushroom exciter as well sometimes. I'm a massive fan of medicinal mushrooms and the, the more I look into it, the more of a fan I become and I, I feel a massive effect. And I, I, I like to think that, um, you know, some of the things that I do, whether it be MCTs, ketones, lion's mane, they're, they're basically there to help heal my brain as well. I, I don't know if you know, but I've had about eight pretty serious concussions, you know, one of them oh, very right. serious. Well, how did you have those? What? Uh, yeah, playing rugby and boxing. Yeah, you will do silly things. Exactly, and so um, <laughs> can really help with neurogenesis. I'm a massive fan of. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. I love to talk about that a bit more. Like, yeah. So I have the, um, I have the, I've been getting to the, the, the Relishi. Is it Relishi? Relishi mushroom. Yeah, Reishi. Reishi, Reishi. Sorry. Um, so I have that, and then um, I'll go to bed, and then I have a Shakti mat. 
Ah, right. Yeah, I've got one of those. I've been doing the uh, – so I put the Shakti in. Basically, I lie on the Shakti until I'm kind of half asleep, and then I'll pull it out and then conk. And I fall super fast. Yeah. Generally, I'll be woken up by, you know, Bella might have a bit of a bit of a scream at some point, but, you know, but yeah, I fall asleep super fast, so I just wonder, but then it must be a little bit lighter, so. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, I'm pretty down with the routine, and usually I'll even have a bit of, um, I saw, more recently I've been doing the TENS, TENS um, electrostimulation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a bit of an injury, so I've been, and I find I found that's been pretty relaxing as well. Yeah, I use it a lot. Um, I think it's great. And I actually, I, I use it for hypertrophy as well. And I know that a lot of people say that doesn't work, but I think if you've got a unit that you can really crank up. Yeah, yeah. As an adjunct to your other strength yeah. work, I think it's really effective. And particularly if you use um, the sort of hypoxic, um, the bands as well. I mean, those two things together are pretty interesting, yeah. Um, but I was reading some stuff that it was actually, it's not all one-sided with the... Um, with the with the tens and the hypertrophy, so actually, I was seeing some stuff that for strength gains and and um, hypertrophy it can be quite good. So, because yeah. I was, yeah, so I was going to use it on my because I've been having my left glute is pretty much weak, weaker than my right. So I was thinking of I've been using it ba basically for because I've had a bit of a glute med strain on the left, so I've been using it to kind of help with that. But I was thinking about cranking it up on the hypertrophy and getting my butt. Um, in some hypertrophy going on there because it's it's definitely smaller in size. Just it's small just, anyway. Just don't uh, post any YouTube videos of that, mate. No, 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 <laughs> no. I'll leave that to myself. No, no Instagram feed for that one. Exactly. Instagram stories. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so I've taken up way too much of your time and I could probably talk to you for hours, Dan, and I would love to actually get you back and talk about some of the other areas you've worked in because there's just so much there that we could mine, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what, what's your, uh, before we finish off, what's next for you? Have you got any big projects coming up or anything that you're working on uh, in the business side of things at the moment? Um, so the big thing, I mean, the big thing in my mind is, is I'm going to, I'm racing Kona World Championships Ironman in October. Wow. So kind of, um, I've always like that's kind of my big thing of the year, really. And I'm, and then I'm going. Then my plan is that I'm going to retire for a few years until Bella gets a little bit older. She's, you know, she's she'll be one the day after the race. So I figured that we. My plan was to do it in 2017, but you know, she was born on the same day, so. We had yeah. to move things around a bit. So, you know, my <laughs> wife's amazing and she's like, oh, you have to do it next year. So um, I kind of want to tick that one off. That's that's what's going on personally. Um, and then other than that, I'm just enjoying a mix of everything that I do, really. bit of coaching, a bit of science, um, a bit of tech, a bit of artificial intelligence stuff in the coaching space as well. So these, yeah, like I'm pretty fortunate that, you know, I don't really go, I don't feel like I have a job really because I just enjoy everything that I do so much. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. And we'll just keep publishing some papers and um, working with my students. So. And so where can people go to find out more about what you do, Dan? Um, so, yeah, we've got, um, we, have, we do have a, our own company, coaching company, which is with me and Paul Lawson, which is a, uh, Clusenprof.com. So we've got a few blogs on there. A lot of the stuff about what we talked about today about the fat oxidation and um, and stuff like that. Um, get me on Instagram. 
on at the plus one and you can get me on um twitter as well on at the plus one so. awesome well, thanks, Dan. Uh, we have a huge amount of information here to mine through and chuck up in the show notes. Um, like I say, I would love to get you back on at some stage and talk even more, but thanks for being on today, mate. It was awesome. No problem. Great to be here. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. If you'd like to know more about what I do, go to cliffharvey.com. And remember, patrons get exclusive access to the live stream podcast. To sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash cliffharvey.